Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody. Again, this is the first Sunday of Advent. Very exciting time. One of my favorite times of the year in the church and in our home. It's always a really busy time and everybody has different ways of trying to attack that and keep their hearts focused. I remember a few years ago I was visiting a church with some family and the pastor got up sort of to, to begin his sermon and uh, he said, happy holidays church. And without missing a beat, everyone in the room except for maybe myself said, Merry Christmas with all kinds of authority and I kind of jumped. And, okay, we're we're going to do that, you know, when he says happy holidays, apparently. And it was apparently something he had kind of worked up with the church because as he was talking and getting his Bible ready like I'm right now, <clears throat> trying to find where he put that bookmark. He said again, <clears throat> you know, I just hope you guys are all having a happy holidays. And as soon as he said the words that the church again, Merry Christmas uh, with all kinds of festivity and, and energy. And I was realizing, OK, this is something he's kind of taught them, you know. If somebody says to you, happy holidays, and they're trying to take Christ out of Christmas, uh, you need to respond back with all kinds of authority and all kinds of anger and frighten them into celebrating the birth of our Lord. And so by the end of it, about the fifth time he said it, uh, it you know, people were waving their hands and it was Merry Christmas, Pastor, and all this kind of stuff. And I thought, you know, I mean, that's that's one way to keep your heart focused this season. Um, it is a, it's a busy time of year and it's easy to get off track. I, I wouldn't recommend trying to startle your friends or the uh, checkout lady at Target or the random person on the street who just gives you a, a holiday greeting. Um, but I do think it is good to take some intentionality into thinking about how are you going to keep your minds and your hearts focused on the right things in this busy time of year. And so to that end, we've created this Advent guide for this year. And uh, we've got a box full of these in the back. We're going to uh, pass these out at the end of the service in some way. I invite you to take uh, maybe one per family um, because it's, it's meant to kind of guide your family through the Advent time. I'll be honest with you, I've, I've never been a Christmas guy. Uh, I've actually been quite a bit of a Scrooge for some time. Uh, my wife will tell you, uh, especially in our early years of marriage, I was a lot of a Scrooge. But um, well, part of what has helped me recover from that has been Advent, has been beginning to think about Advent as a month-long celebration that Emmanuel is here. Christ has come. I didn't grow up in a a home or a church that celebrated Advent. So this was a new thing to me when my church began to celebrate it a few years ago. I, I'm not sure I even knew what the word Advent meant until my late 20s, but I've come to really appreciate this time of, of uh, focusing our minds and hearts on the truths surrounding the Christmas season and particularly these, these key facets of our faith. That, that we hold up in a special way this time of year. And so that, that guide is going to sync up with the sermons that we're doing on Sundays. It's going to kind of guide you through our celebration of Advent here at Midlands. There's a, a weekly devotion you can do together as a family or by yourself. And then there are daily scripture readings. So I definitely encourage all you guys to pick one of those up on the way. Our Advent series is entitled Anthems. And the reason for that is that we're going to be looking at four songs in the Gospel of Luke. So if you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and go to Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at a, a song each week. This week, we're looking at what we call the Magnificat 
uh, Mary's song in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 46. I'm going to say a few words about the context before we jump into her song, though. The, uh, the Gospel of Luke is where we're going to spend some considerable time as a church in the next year. In fact, in January, we'll begin a longer study of the gospel. And so I'll say a lot more about the book as a whole, kind of introducing it then. But just one thing to note as we, as we turn to Luke in our Bibles today is in those first few verses of the book, if you go back and read this, um, this week, you'll see this. You, you catch that Luke is a very detail-oriented person. Uh, he has a particular purpose in mind in writing his gospel. He's trying to provide an orderly account that we might uh, have some sense of rootedness in the things that we are believing, that concerning the things that we have been taught. He wants us to, to know that this came from something. These are not just abstract ideas. They're not just friendly thoughts, but they're, they're historical events. And so Luke has gone through this process of, of researching and, and gathering eyewitness testimony and talking to people who were there to bring us some of these stories. And because of that, we have some stories in Luke that we don't have in the other Gospels. Uh, like, for example, the first one you see there, the birth of John the Baptist foretold when an angel appears to Zechariah and tells him that his, his wife, who has not been able to get pregnant all her life, is going to give birth to a child and that this child is going to be a prophet. And in fact, he's going to be the first prophet in Israel for the last 400 years. All right? And we're not going to look at Zechariah and uh, Elizabeth today because Fred Mills is going to be looking at Zechariah's song next week. But it is important to note that story because it has some impact on, on Mary's story as well. The same angel visits her beginning in verse 26. And we, we're probably more familiar with this young girl, Mary. This angel tells her that she will give birth to a son as well. But this son, of course, will be the son of God. He will not be like any other Child, He is the long-awaited Messiah that has come for his people. Now, Mary is understandably perplexed, right? For one, uh, she is, she's a virgin. What that means is she's, she's never been married, right? And she's never been with a man in the way that would lead her to expect her to be pregnant, right? So she's perplexed and she's wondering, how could this be that I could give birth at all, much less give birth to a child that would be the son of God, and the angel doesn't exactly walk her through the details. He gives uh, a bit of a nod to the Holy Spirit and says the Holy Spirit will overshadow you in, in some kind of holy and mysterious way. But mostly he encourages her to trust the Lord and particularly draws her attention to the power of God. And he says, you know, your cousin Elizabeth is actually pregnant. You, you know, Elizabeth, your cousin that has been weeping and, and waiting for a child for years. Well, she's pregnant now. It just, just as a note to you to remind you that nothing is impossible with God. And so a few months later, Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. You know the story here. There's a moment here that I think has tremendous implications for some modern issues. I'm not going to delve into it today because we're committed to doing some shorter sermons during Advent while we have our kids in here for family Sundays all throughout the Advent season. Uh, but there, there are some some political issues that I think are directly impacted by this scene we see here in Luke 1. I think you guys can sort it out as we go through here because what we find is Mary, pregnant Mary, walks into the room where pregnant Elizabeth is waiting for her. The baby in Elizabeth's womb, the person, the human being in Elizabeth's womb responds. And he responds by leaping. And this, is, this is a baby only known to his mother, and his maker, and yet he is known, and he's real, 
And he's a human. He's made in the image of God. And he somehow realizes that God is up to something really unique and amazing when Mary enters the room. And Elizabeth feels it. And she realizes the baby in her belly is responding to this woman that has just come in. And she says in uh, uh, verse 43, Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So Elizabeth's the older cousin here. She's got her younger cousin Mary coming, but she is humbled by Mary's arrival. Why is it that the mother of our Lord should come to me? And in some way, this seems to spark in Mary this song of praise that we're going to look at today. We call it the Magnificat. Uh, that comes from the, the Latin uh, rendering of the first verse where Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord. And, and Magnificat is the Latin word for that. It begins the song in the, in the Latin translation. Uh, it's full of Old Testament quotations and allusions. If we had a longer time together this morning, we could go through verse by verse and we could, we could find all these psalms and prophecies that Mary is recalling. She's a good Jewish girl. She knew her Hebrew Bible. And, and all these thoughts and ideas are sort of flooded to her mind in this moment when she releases this song of praise. And I think in some sense, it's a response to hearing her cousin Elizabeth say, you are the mother of my Lord. And those of you who have been, uh, who are mothers, you, you, you maybe remember that moment when someone told you, there's a child growing within you. You're going to be a mom. I think for dads, it, it's usually not until later when, when you're holding the child in your hand, but you have that moment you realize, Life has changed. I'm a father now. And I know what fathers are supposed to do. And I know what kids think about as they look up to their fathers. And all of a sudden, I'm holding this little human and he's looking up at me and he's going to call me dad. And it just sort of floods your mind and heart with emotions. And I think Mary had a moment like that, not just realizing she was going to be a mother, but the mother of the Lord. And so in response to that, we get the Magnificat. So let's read this. Mary's song here, and we'll make a few comments about what we can learn from it. So Mary said, beginning in verse 46 of Luke 1, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good, good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. So Mary's song here, I'm going to just divide into two big, broad ideas. The, the, the first one is Mary celebrates God's faithfulness to her personally, right? So it, it begins with a reflection of God's mercy toward Mary. He is her Savior and her God. It's very personal, right? He's shown her great favor in causing her to be the mother of the Lord. And if we were to read through the whole story uh, well, remember that the, the angel, when he first appeared to Mary, he called her, O favored one. And she didn't quite understand what that meant at the time. And kind of see how her understanding has expanded. Now uh, she's been called the mother of the Lord, and, and she understands what that means. And she's reflecting on that. 
So she recognizes that God has, has been unimaginably merciful to her. He has lifted her from this humble, lowly estate. She's a, a poor young girl from an unimportant town in, in the ancient world. And yet God has graced her to be the mother of his son. And her song of praise acknowledges that he is the one who has done it. He who is mighty has done this thing. In his grace, in his mercy, he has worked in Mary's life. And I think there's much we can learn from by just pausing to think about Mary's faith here. Now, in part, due to our, our Roman Catholic friends, uh, sometimes we're a bit unsure what to do with Mary, right? We, if, if you have Roman Catholic friends or you grew up in the Roman Catholic Church, uh, you may have been taught different things about Mary. Um, I, I think because of some of those things, uh, Protestants often are, are a little nervous about talking about her. <laughs> like we don't want to, we don't want to make it sound like we think she's sinless, or we don't want to venerate her or worship her in any way, because we don't see those things in the pages of Scripture, and we think those things are misguided, right? But I don't think it's wrong to appreciate her faith, to appreciate it in the same way that we would any other person in the Bible who practices good faith before a holy God. I like Martin Luther's reflection on this. He says, there are three miracles happening here in this story. On the one hand, you've got the virgin birth. And secondly, you've got the birth of a God-man, a, a, a child who will be both God and man. And then the third miracle you have is Mary's faith. And Luther says, the last is not the least of these. He says, think about Isaiah 9:6. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And then Luther says this, This for us is the hardest point of all. Not so much to believe that He is the Son of the Virgin and God Himself, but to believe that this Son of God is ours. So this Advent season, I want to encourage you, don't miss that reality. The Son of God came for us and He came for you. He came for each and every one of us. You see, the, the danger with these familiar stories and these well-known songs is that they can cause us or, or, or contribute to us losing our sense of awe over what has happened here. These, these truths can become just kind of background noise as we go through the motions of another holiday season. Whether you've gone through an Advent celebration every December of your life or whether this will be the first time you've ever, ever tried to gather around these ideas and, and get before the scriptures and, and think through it, it's very easy to, to come across these ideas and these stories that you probably know and, and just kind of keep them distant, right? So I, I want us to learn from Mary's example. She was, she was reflecting on truths that she had been taught since she was a little girl. I mean, the, the things that she says in this song are psalms, and phrases from the Old Testament prophets that she probably learned to memorize as a child. They were very, very familiar to, to her, and yet they were very dear to her. They brought great joy to her heart. So she was able to recognize the big picture of what God was doing, but she was also able to, to sense the personal implications for herself. So let's not miss out on that promise that the Son of God is not, has not just come, but He is ours. He has come for us. So we see Mary reflecting on God's faithfulness to her. And then secondly, we see Mary reflecting on God's faithfulness to his people. So the second half of the song kind of zooms out. The first half is really uh, personal and internal. Mary thinking about what God has done for her. And then it kind of zooms out to what God has done for his people. And you see there in verse 50, from generation to generation, 
God has preserved a people for himself and he's shown them great mercy despite all the odds seemingly being stacked against them. Have you ever thought about this? If you think about the Old Testament, the, the story of God's people in the Old Testament is not a story of triumph. I mean, it's not a story. You kind of think when God says to Abram, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. You kind of think it's the beginning of something really exciting and awesome happening. And it sort of feels like that for, I don't know, like half a generation. <laughs> and then Isaac begins to sin and stray from the Lord. And there's kind of this course correction and, and Joseph. And then there's this other course correction. And, and the, the people of God just keep going astray. That They're oppressed. They're beneath these these foreign rulers, they're, they're rarely in charge. They're rarely free to, to worship the Lord as they would like. And yet they bear this promise. They bear this promise that someday a king will come and he will make all things right. And they carry that promise with them all the way through. Think about how much of the Old Testament is, is really a story of the people of God waiting on God to do what he has said he will do. And when Abram and Sarah waited for that child, and you're going to give birth to a son. And it's some time before Isaac is born. Or you think about Joseph when he's uh, in the Egyptian prison cell. And he, he interprets the dream of the cupbearer. says, when you get out, don't forget me. Cupbearer says, okay, I won't forget you. And he gets out and forgets him. He sits there two more years waiting on God to deliver him. You think about Moses when he's leading the people out of Egypt and there's an army. Egyptians behind him. He's waiting to see how is God going to deliver us as we get closer and closer to the sea. You think about Joshua as he's leading the people around uh, uh, Jericho and they're marching around the walls and they're waiting to see how is God going to conquer these great enemies before us. You think about Isaiah, and Jeremiah as they're waiting judgment. They're waiting to see if God will bring in their day his wrath upon his people. You've got Ezra and Nehemiah. They're waiting on God to bring restoration. Is God going to rebuild the people like he said they, that he would do? And you think about that 400 years of silence. When, you, when you're in your Bible and you read Malachi, you turn the page and it says New Testament and then you go over to Matthew, it feels like a quick flip if you're just reading through your Bible. But in between those two books is 400 years of silence. 400 years of not hearing from the Lord. 400 years of not knowing when this hope would come. I mean, we haven't even existed as a nation that long. Right? I mean, 400 years. And then all of a sudden, an angel appears to Zechariah and says, things are about to change. And all through this time, God's people are holding on to a promise, but they're waiting on him to deliver. And I think that that sense of waiting often makes the fulfillment all, all the more sweeter. When I think about this in our own life, I always think about our, uh, our sweet Anna. Um, when we, uh, after, after we had Haddon, we, had a, we got pregnant a couple years later and um, our baby died. We had a miscarriage. And I think I shared some of this with uh, the church before. And so uh, after going through a time of grief and, and loss, uh, we began to pray that God would again bless us with another child. We, we desperately wanted to, to be pregnant again. We desperately wanted to, to have another baby. And um, the Lord just did not answer that prayer quickly. Uh, we waited about two years. And in, in that two years, we, we had uh, doctors 
uh, say that it was medically very unlikely that we were to get pregnant again. We, we actually started an adoption process um, because we had thought about doing that anyway and thought, well, maybe this is God kind of steering us toward doing this now rather than later. Uh, and, and then we found out Shai was pregnant with, with Anna. And I remember when Anna was born, I remember holding her in the hospital. And I'm not a super emotional guy, uh, but when I held Anna, and no offense to you, Hadn, um, I was super excited to get you two. I think I was more terrified when I held Hadden, just the sense of like, oh my goodness, I'm a dad. They're really going to let us take him home. Um, I was like the dad, like, are you sure we need to check out? I think maybe we should stay another day or two. Um, but when I held Anna, man, I just thought, the Lord has been so kind to us. We, we have waited and we have waited and we have waited and, and now we treasure this child. And I remember, I could not, I could barely even talk about her the first few days of her life. I was just a weepy mess. And I remember a verse that I kind of clung to in those days was in Psalm 139. And it was a familiar verse that had never really sunk deep into my heart until this moment. And it was in uh, Psalm 139, verse 14. It says, wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. And I had always known that the works of God were good, and, and I treasured all the works of God. But there was something about this, this baby that we had waited for, and we had prayed for, and we had hoped for, and we had wondered if she would never come. And, and then suddenly we had her. And, and, and all I could think was, Lord, you are so good, and my soul knows this now on a deeper level than I've ever known it before. My soul knows it very well. I could say with the psalmist, you satisfy the longing soul. The hungry soul is filled with good things from your hand. And this is what Mary is saying here in this moment. She's, she's praying a similar prayer of praise. Lord, we have waited. We have wondered if he would ever come. We have wondered if this, if this day would ever arrive. And now it is here in your kindness and your mercy and your goodness. You have answered all the prayers of your people. And now that you have, everything is about to change. And so those last few verses talk about uh, this, this sense of reversal that's about to happen in the world. Uh, the proud will be laid low. The mighty will be brought down from their thrones. Those who trust in riches will be exposed. The hungry uh, shall be filled and the humble shall be exalted. It's like the whole world is going to be turned on its head for the sake of God's people. We read in Psalm 138 at the beginning of the service how this is in the heart of God. Though he is on high, he regards the lowly. And as we said, there have been none more lowly than Israel. Their story is a tale of, of corruption and oppression and defeat. And yet God kept his promise. Micah 7.20 was a, a, a word of hope that Micah gave the people. He said, you will show faithfulness to Jacob, steadfast love to Abraham, You've sworn to our fathers from the days of old. And I think in verse 54 and 55, Mary's reflecting on that verse. And she says, Lord, you have done just that. This great reversal has begun. And we're going to see it unfold as we read these songs and learn these songs in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to see the, the uh, humble exalted. We're going to see a, an elderly barren woman giving birth to the first prophet in four centuries. We're going to see a young girl giving birth to the Son of God. We're going to see lowly shepherds becoming heralds of the King. 
We're going to see a, a wise, aged man get the honor of blessing his Lord before he breathes his last. Each of their songs bears witness to the great mercy of God to them and to us all. So as we're learning these, I want us to uh, do all that we can to really focus our hearts on, on these promises this season. Uh, we, we celebrate uh, the, the hope and, and the truth and the reality that Christ has come. And, and yet we also live in between two Advents, right? This is Advent, but this is really the first Advent. This is the first coming of the Lord. There will be another. Because all of the promises that we have in the pages of Scripture, some in the Old Testament, even some in the New Testament, even some here in Mary's own words, have not been fully fulfilled, right? We've seen glimpses of it. We see some of these glimpses in these stories here, and we see glimpses in our own day. But we'll see fulfillness when fulfillment, uh, we'll see fullness when Christ comes again. He's come for his people once, he's come for you, and he will come again. And so we celebrate Advent in between these two comings. Let us bear that in mind. I love that we take communion weekly because it gives us an opportunity to just sit between those two Advents on a weekly basis. And when we take communion, we remind ourselves that Christ has indeed come. And that baby boy of Mary's bore the sins of the world. Because of that, we can access the throne of grace through him. But it also reminds us that Christ will come again. That what we do at the end of our services here at Midlands is a mere placeholder for a greater celebration to come. So let's gather around the table today as, as believers, as those who hope in Christ. Let's gather around the table today celebrating the hope we have in Christ. And, and maybe you might take a few moments before uh, we begin communion to just pray that God would write your own heart in this season. That, that as you think about the busyness of the weeks ahead, as you think about the travel, as you think about visiting family and friends and maybe some things you're looking forward to, maybe some things that are not so exciting to you personally, pray that God would write your heart and help you focus on the Son of God who has come for us. And I want to remind you that communion is, is for believers. If you're here today and, and you're not a Christian, we're, we're so glad you're with us, but we'd ask you not to participate in communion. It is such a, a special moment for us as Christians um, when we gather around the table together, we remember that we serve a God who indeed keeps his promises. Let's pray to him as we transition to that. God, thank you that you have come. Thank you that you, in your kindness, Lord, uh, have spoken through your son. You spoke through the prophets. Uh, you spoke through your word for years and years. And finally, decisively, you have spoken now to us through your son. And it's by Him that we have access to You. It's by Him that we have access to Your mercy. It's by Him that we have access to every blessing. Every spiritual blessing is found in Him. And yet, Lord, we, we bear witness in our own lives and in the lives of this church that uh, we do not always see this great reversal in action. We, we don't always see this sense of triumph. Sometimes we feel more like the people of God before you came, waiting, hoping, longing for something still to come. Lord, help us to set our hearts on you. Help us to, to rest in the fulfillment of your promises to your people and sending your son. 
and help us to hope in the promises that, that are still to come, the, the great things we still await. God, give us hope in those things this season as we celebrate Advent together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.